Hello from the California Lawyers Association Annual Meeting 2018 in San Diego, California. I'm Eric Adair. Chip Wilkins. Suma Pisapati. John Rohr. Jennifer Novak. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. We're back. Thank you so much for joining us on the road. It's a pleasure to be here. Today we're talking about environmental enforcement in California. We've got some wonderful guests. Why don't we get some biographical information? Tell us a little about yourself, Chip. Uh, so my name is Chip Wilkins. I'm a partner at Remy Moose Manley in Sacramento, California. I do primarily CEQA and other environmental law land use cases, litigation and uh, compliance work. I'm Suma Pisapati, and I'm a Deputy Attorney General with the California Attorney General's Office in specifically the Environmental Justice Bureau. I've been practicing environmental law for nearly 20 years uh, with a particular focus in, in environmental justice. I'm John Rohr. I'm with a company called Rue Associates, an environmental consulting company in Long Beach, California. We help out with environmental compliance and site cleanups and water issues. I'm Jennifer Novak. I have my own law practice, so we are the law office of Jennifer F. Novak, uh, located in the Los Angeles area. I've been practicing about 22 years, and I counsel uh, small business owners and property uh, owners uh, with respect to environmental compliance, but I also handle litigation on both the plaintiff and defense side, mainly with uh, water contamination and, and soil contamination. And I'm Eric Adair, chair of the environmental law section and a partner with Hinson, Gravel, and Adair in Valencia, California. Why don't you folks tell us a little bit generally what your presentation was about, Jennifer? So our goal today was really to present environmental enforcement issues for the non-environmental lawyer to explain how those situations might arise and in what industries uh, people might find them so that people who traditionally weren't thinking about environmental issues might understand what they need to be looking for. Okay. John? My role was to talk about technically how to hopefully avoid enforcement before somebody would knock on the door, and if enforcement happens, how to work through it with legal counsel. Okay. And Suma? My role was primarily to talk uh, about government agencies and the role that government plays in the implementation and enforcement environment of environmental law. And we guys had a wonderful discussion with some great questions, and some of the questions that were of most interest to me were, who are the people, who are the types of people who are most impacted by environmental enforcement actions? Suma, from a government perspective? I would say large industrial sources of pollution, uh, large repeat offenders, and then industries that uh, deal with particularly dangerous chemicals. Um, those are the types of industries that we deal with. And John, you told us some interesting stories about some of the people that you dealt with who were impacted by enforcement actions. Would you care to tell us about one or two of those? Sure. Most often we deal with the people that are dealing with hazardous materials, but sometimes there are parties that are not directly the user of a hazardous material, like a landowner. And in one case, we dealt with a landowner, unfortunately a widow. She had been in the hospital, and a strike team had inspected her facility. She didn't know that there was a subtenant that had been there doing car repair or car reassembly, and it led to enforcement and criminal complaint against her. We helped her out of it, but at the same time, just being a property owner wasn't enough to keep her out of the enforcement radar. And Jennifer, you typically defend targets of environmental enforcement actions. You want to tell us about some of your experiences? Sure. For example, I, I work with some of the facilities in some of the ports 
areas. And very often they have to deal with emissions coming from trucks that are coming in and out of their facilities. Um, they're looking at stormwater issues because they're sitting right on the water, uh, as well as uh, you know, many of our mayors are setting very uh, rigorous climate goals that are going to be very hard for some of these facilities to meet. Uh, I also, like John, work with property owners who may find years down the road that either the operations that occurred while they were there or that preceded them caused some sort of environmental contamination. And when the government agencies come knocking, they really are looking for any potential target to pay for the cleanup. And how do these actions typically come up? Can you be a target of an action and not know? Or can they be, can be, come as a total surprise to you? How do you find out about these actions? Suma, how do the targets of your enforcement actions find out? Usually there's some type of notice, uh, either a notice of violation, uh, a warning from an agency. Um, there's often a notice of intent to sue before there's some type of litigation that occurs. So almost always potential defendants are put on notice before an enforcement, before there's actually an enforcement action. Jennifer? I would say, so a lot of my clients will get the very kind of letters that Suma's talking about. You know, so either contamination's been found nearby, and some some government agency is looking for the source of that contamination. Uh, so a landowner or an operator may be asked questions as to what kind of materials they use, what are their operations, are they things that might lend themselves to contamination. When I do plaintiff side work, uh, it often is in the world of water quality and citizen suits. And in those situations, we, we are required by law to give a 60-day notice letter outlining the very violations that we think a, a business or a property owner may have engaged in. And John, as the non-lawyer on the panel, uh, your clients oftentimes deal with issues without the benefit of a lawyer, at least initially. How do your clients occasionally at least find out about these types of enforcement actions? Most often, it's the, the direct regulatory agency who's overseeing the hazardous materials at their site will come out and do inspections. And usually, if they see something that they say is a violation, it's a verbal notice that then leads to written notice and a notice to correct. And on the notice to correct, that's where sometimes if the party that needs to correct the violation doesn't do it, it begins to escalate into lawyer territory. But sometimes it's avoidable, and that's what we advise. But certainly we advise most people to go get a competent attorney who knows about the laws specific to what they may have on their site or what they may be doing or how they may end up crosswise with the environmental regs. One of the parts of the discussion that I most enjoyed was the surprises discussion. What surprises have you encountered in dealing with these types of actions? John, you had some interesting stories. Do you want to share one of those? Oh, sure. Unfortunately, we ended up, uh, we never worked for this individual, but we learned about a site that had been bought on auction.com. A phase one paper study had been done that showed the site had been a former gas station. And at some point, he purchased the property and other parties got involved and it was found there was contamination there. And those previous prior, let's call it prior entities of the property had been bankrupt or dissolved. And he, he's ended up getting into an enforcement position with the state agency because of it. And the other thing, a piece of advice I'd say that might be a surprise for people to learn is that the lowest ladder on the rung, local COOPAs, the Certified Unified Program Agency, so the fire departments at the county or city level, they're not out to get people. They don't want to enforce. They want for people to be safe. And oftentimes, if somebody has a question, they're okay with people coming to them and asking about what they need to do to be in compliance with, with the regulatory environment or regulatory environmental laws. 
You know, one thing that catches uh, people unawares is that depending on the administrative agency that may be uh, engaging in an enforcement action, there can be a very short window of time in which they have to challenge that decision. And for example, if it is a, a water board, a, a regional water quality control board enforcement action, you have 30 days to challenge the order that they've issued. And if you don't do it in time, you are legally precluded from bringing any sort of legal challenge to it later on. M many people, after the fact, only when it's escalated, try to go back in time to, to argue that it wasn't me or, you know, those facts aren't right. And they've, they've blown the time to do that. The other thing I mentioned was uh, during the presentation was conversely, I think people um, get surprised when an agency comes knocking decades later, decades after someone has sold a property or decades after a company closed, and now they, they want information. What did you do? You know, what operations happened? What chemicals did you did you have there? And um, people's first reaction is, well, they, they can't come back now. And the answer is they can. One thing we forgot to mention during our presentation is therefore how important it is for people to keep records. Even if your company has been closed or, or you sold a property ages and ages ago, it may become relevant in terms of proving what did or didn't happen uh, when you were involved in the site. And more importantly, whether there was any insurance that might cover any uh, problems that arose. I regret us not mentioning that during our panel. You mentioned a large number of people who might need to be concerned about environmental enforcement during the presentation. What can anyone do, in your opinion, to avoid an environmental suit? What can they do to be proactive? A number of things. My, the one issue might be staying up on any regulations that pertain to you. If, if you're already aware that uh, you're subject to permitting or you know, other um, requirements, make sure that you understand what the state of the law is so that you don't miss something if the law has changed. But I, you know, I, I have a lot of clients who, uh, after the fact, after there's a, an issue, um, realize that if they had had someone thinking about the environmental issues earlier on, such as can I move my hazardous waste facility three blocks away and and still be able to have my current operations, or am I going to now need a permit to do that? Those kinds of questions would be really handy to answer and think about in advance before uh, it turns out you're in violation of the law and now you can't use the million dollar facility and you're going to um, be facing a lawsuit. Um, for me, I think mostly in terms of being proactive, people can know their industry if they're not necessarily the operator on a site and they're just the landowner, know what the tenants are doing on the site so that they can be aware of what, what problems might be happening. Secondarily, a lot of information is out there through trade associations or industry groups that particular specific to what somebody may or may not be doing. They can watch the updates. Uh, what are new laws or legislations coming out of Sacramento that may affect any environmental issues specific to their site? The third one is coming to events like this and being able to learn cross-discipline how environmental uh, laws, regulations, and God forbid enforcement may or may not apply to people's clients or to themselves. And I would just add the need for expertise in the technical areas. Understanding and navigating California's regulatory schemes is very difficult for educated and intelligent people. And I've seen many clients try to navigate those systems without any expertise, without any help. And it's not served them well. And they've gotten themselves into a world of trouble because they didn't get that expertise in time. 
So, Suma, can you tell us uh, what you're doing? I understand the AG has a new uh, division dealing with environmental justice. Can you tell us what's happening there? Sure. Uh, And thank you for that question, Chip. Uh, This year, the Attorney General created um, this Environmental Justice Bureau. And for those who are not familiar with the term environmental justice, it addresses the disproportionate impact of pollution on communities of color and low-income communities. And uh, so the AG has taken the step to create a specialized bureau staffed with four lawyers at the outset. Uh, We hope that it will grow over time to address environmental justice issues here in California um, and at the federal level. Uh, It's a particularly meaningful time to to start this bureau, especially as we're seeing retrenchment at the federal level and uh, the federal EPA closing the Office of Civil Rights and the Office of Environmental Justice. And following up on that, but given that governments have limited uh, enforcement resources sometimes, either at the local or state uh, or federal level, if you're a citizen, uh, we had a question in, in the audience from the audience asking, what can citizens do to enforce environmental laws if they believe that someone is not complying? If That's kind of open for all of you, whoever wants to hit that. Because part of my practice uh, is, in fact, bringing citizen suits or representing non-governmental organizations with respect to citizen suits, I, I'll take a stab at it. There are situations in which the environmental laws uh, do provide for a citizen uh, or what we call an interested person who has the standing, the, who has been injured in some way. To, to challenge what they see are violations. And depending on the situation, very often there is a lot of public information out there that uh, people can request of oversight agencies to find out what kind of operations are happening, are there violations, uh, especially when we're talking about the Clean Water Act and water quality issues. A- any facility that has a permit is required to be self-reporting under penalty of perjury every year. So very often you can go straight into an agency's records to see are they complying? Are they doing all the things they're supposed to be doing? Um, Similar, there's definitely a scientific component in there, too, to figure out whether somebody's emitting too many, um, you know, particulates into the air, etc. And in those situations, there definitely are avenues available for someone to uh, either go to an agency and ask for work to be done or to hire a lawyer and to actually bring a lawsuit. Well, thank you all for a wonderful discussion. Chip and I appreciate your input today. The panel was fantastic, and thank you for your time and input during our discussion podcast. Before we close it out for today, I have one last question for each of you. If our listeners would like to follow up with you, how could they reach you? Jennifer? They can go to my website, which is jfnovaclaw.com. My email address is novak at jfnovaclaw.com. John? For me, same for the website. It's www.ruinc.com, R-O-U-X-I-N-C.com, or J-R-O-H-R-E-R R-O-H-R-E-R, at ruinc.com. Suma? My email address is S-U-M-A dot P-E-E-S-A-P-A-T-I, and that's my name, Suma Pisapati, at D-O-J dot C-A dot G-O-V. Terrific. Chip? It's probably easiest to, my website is listed on our webpage, which is R-M-M, Enviro, E-N-V-I-R-O-L-A-W.com. And I would add that I will be, as well as most of our panelists here and many others, at the Environmental Law Conference that we're doing next month. And you can find information about that on the CLA Environmental Law Section website. 
Uh, it's coming up in a month. And if you want to learn more about this and so many other things in environmental law, it's, the, it's a great place to go. And for Eric, you can reach me at my website, Hinson Gravel, H-I-N-S-O-N-G-R-A-V-E-L-L-E.com. My email address is just adair at that domain. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us today. We also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.